Balancing police accountability in Philadelphia on Inside Story right now. Hello, everyone, and good Sunday to you. I'm Matt O'Dowell. It is Sunday, August 12, 2018. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Story. Let us meet our insiders of the week. We have Charmaine Matlock-Turner, nonprofit executive. Hi, good morning, Matt. Charmaine. Marketing executive, Brian Tierney. Hey, Hello, Matt. Brian. Donna Gentile O'Donnell, nonprofit executive. Hello, good morning, Donna. Matt. And law professor, Jan Ting. Hey, Matt. Good morning, Jan. All right, the Philadelphia Police Department is dealing with an absolutely tragic shooting, the death of a civilian that happened because of a fateful misunderstanding. SWAT officers broke down the door of a Germantown home looking for the subject of a warrant. The homeowner thought it was an intruder and fired, wounding an officer. Police shot back and killed the homeowner. Uh, the police commissioner, all he could say is, and I quote, I can't color it any other way. There is no attempt to justify. Now, there is a Philadelphia Police Accountability Report that has relevance to this. I want to get to in a moment. But first, Charmaine, with District Attorney Larry Krasner being very vocal about his uh, about police excessive force here, how is this all going to play out? Well, I, number one, it's a tragedy, I think, for everybody all the way around. You know, certainly I hate for any officer to be hurt in any kind of official capacity at all, but also for this homeowner who thought that he was protecting his home and thought someone was breaking in, um, for him to ultimately um, be be killed is is a very, very tragic issue. And, and I'm looking forward to having a conversation about the police accountability question because if you look at some of the information that's out there, some of the new polling that's been done uh, in low and moderate income communities of color, the distance between the police and the community is not that great. I, we're, we're not asking the right questions and we need to really better understand that the community wants to be a partner if they believe ultimately the police are going to be fair to them. And as long as we have these kind of issues, you continue to break down community trust and you need the community if you're ultimately going to deal with the question of safety for everyone. This police break-in occurred at 6 a.m. at dawn um, and so people were still in bed and so they say they didn't hear uh, the police announcement that it was police let them in. I wear hearing aids, and I will tell you, people with hearing aids don't wear them at night. Sure. Um, so they can't hear what uh, police might be saying out on the street. Um, and uh, the, the homeowner had a legally <coughs> registered firearm in his home for protection because crime is a problem. And uh, so it, it really is an outrage all along. You know. Hearing loss is something the police need to take into account. Um, I'll bet there's a lot of people in Philadelphia with undiagnosed hearing loss, right? right? And even the people that know they have a hearing problem can't afford the hearing aids because they're expensive. So the police have to take this into account. And i tell you what, Brian and Don, I want you to jump in here, but I also want to talk about this Philadelphia Police Accountability Report. It's re reported by City and State PA and obtained this, and it says name that 30 officers are named in who have drawn hundreds of complaints over the past five years. So it's not the entire department. It's, it's a small portion. There's 6,800 officers. But some of the officers were involved in questionable police shootings involving incidents where some officers were firing their weapons way too quickly. And basically with this report, it says that the police weren't trying to look for these early warning signs. So obviously here, we're trying to balance keeping the officers safe. It's a dangerous job. They want to come home. And there are a lot of split-second decisions going on. But at the same time, 
people in the communities want to feel like they're safe when police are involved in incidents. And, and Charmaine makes a good point in that the, the, the distance between the community and their hopes and aspirations for the, is, isn't that far. But it's these guys like these 30 people who have each had 10 or more complaints a year for the last five years. That's aberrational. You got to look at those guys and everybody needs to focus in on that and the police union has to say as well, the best thing I can do for my 6,800 members is to be honest and open about if we do have 30 bad eggs, we need to address that. Because otherwise it clouds the, the image and, and, and the hopes for the entire force. Donna? I, I agree with what Brian said and, and I want to go back to something, that, an observation that Charmaine mm -hmm. made, which is we need to be asking the right questions and we need to be asking different questions. So with respect to those 30 officers, I mean, Brian's right on. I mean, that's exactly what needs to happen. And one of the things that I became aware of some time ago was how union rules come into play when there are officers that are charged in a variety of different circumstances. And it becomes very, very difficult, even for police in administrative and leadership roles, that are trying to manage these things. So it really does have to come from union leadership to say, we gotta take a hard look at this because it's, it's, it's got a damaging effect. I would also suggest that, and this point about hearing loss is a big deal. I mean, people have no idea what a big deal it is. So in addition to police yelling as they enter, Police. I mean, we've got great technology now. Let's figure out ways to create light systems that flash police. Now, that's not going to help a blind person, but it might help a deaf person. So I think, I think we need to rethink what it looks like for, for police to enter. I think we need to rethink what the union can do to protect the, the great, great number of terrific officers that put their lives on the line every day and, and protect them against some of the folks internal that are really leaving uh, a bad feeling about what the what can happen. Internal if, affairs will be yeah, reviewing this with yeah. the police. The DA will be reviewing this as well. And you have Larry Krasner, somebody who, who promised to tip the scales more in what he believes would be a more balanced fashion where the police, he felt, used excessive force too many times. Yeah, and I, one thing I would say about Larry Krasner, too, is, and he came in with a certain amount of expectations and hopes, I guess, is that sense of openness. I'd like to see it as well on the issue, for instance, totally unrelated, but related, if you want to be open and this and that, transparent, about the person who he evidently has some kind of a business or financial relationship with, who's on his payroll at $160,000, he owes money to, or at least has, or whatever the circumstance, but he won't be open about that. So, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant, whether it be at the police union as well. And, you know, the other policemen, the good guys know who the knuckleheads are. They know who the bad guys are. Mm -hmm. And Krasner, the same way, needs to have the same transparency across the board, not just when it's other people, but less transparent about himself. And especially, so, I'm sorry, especially so after Seth Williams. I mean, I think it matters more now than ever, having come through that very painful period in which we all had to face the fact that somebody that we, tr that we voted into office, that we trusted with these really serious responsibilities was an abject failure when it came to moral standing. Well, I think that that issue certainly uh, needs to be reviewed, but I, I do think that this issue of police um, not being able to be fired or to be dismissed um, because of arbitration uh, with the FOP, um, where, you know, one of the police officers in the story, at least in city and state, said, well, I'll be back.
Mm -hmm. um, as soon mm -hmm. as, you know, as soon as I get, yeah, you know, no, no big deal, I'll be back. So it does put a lot of pressure on the administrative side of the police to try to figure this out. I mean, how many people do you take in to try to fight these when you ultimately know it's not going to happen? Something has to be done right. as it relates to this. the shooting in, in Germantown was not about bad cops. Right. It was That's about right. bad That's very police important. policy. Very right. important. Two separate issues. 100%. Sure. 100%. That's yep. a key thing. Okay. Three months until the Pennsylvania governor's race comes to a conclusion with the election. Still no debates officially scheduled for Democratic Governor Tom Wolf and his Republican opponent, Scott Wagner. Wagner has suggested holding one in each of the state's 67 counties, which would take forever. But that's what he wants to do. Has he not heard of TV? He's, he's already <laughs> accepted invitations for several debates. Wolf has been silent so far. What do you think, guys? Is the governor trying to run out the clock here? Why would any incumbent with a big lead Thank agree you. to early debates or multiple debates? If the, if the governor is going to agree to a debate, it'll be like one debate right before the election so he can say, all right, we did the debate. You I know? realize that's the political understandable way yeah. to do it. And, and, and you know, and I, I, but at the same time, if, if, if I was advising the governor, if I, I, again, I want to be open and honest in this, I'd say how many were the average number of debates over the last, say, five or six mm -hmm. or seven elections? And if it was two, I'd agree to two. Well, 1.5. Okay, or 1.5, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I, I, you know, he shouldn't look like he's hiding. You know what I mean? And I, and I think it's, it doesn't serve him well. I don't, I, think I, don't he think he, right. I don't think he looks like he's hiding at all. I mean, he's out in all 67 counties meeting voters. Um, I've got a stack of uh, mailers in uh, my office. And That's not a debate. Tons <laughs> of emails <laughs> yeah. coming in telling me all the wonderful things the governor has done in the last four years. So I definitely think he's campaigning. But putting on my political consultant hat, I mean, it's the same thing. Most candidates <laughs> will not agree to a ton of debates if they're very far in the lead. Uh, for a good putting on my good government hat, yes, at some point in time there should be an opportunity for all voters to sort of see them. Yeah, so one, and I think see, we Republicans one, are more good one, government types. One guess, debate, one debate is good. Some but, of you. Tell me, tell me if you think this is a game changer. We learned this this week that the Americans for Prosperity will support Scott Wagner. Better known as the Koch brothers. American, yes, the Koch brothers back group. Uh, Wagner's behind the polls. He, he suggests some of them are overloaded Democrat. Is that going to be a game changer, their support? I don't think it no. will. I think he's... Lots everyone of money. Ex everyone lots of expects influence. the Koch brothers to support Scott Wagner. Well, actually, I've been very surprised by the Koch brothers recently because they just had that big forum in which they, uh, they've they never been fans of Donald Trump, yeah. and there's a whole bunch of Republican candidates that they are not going to support just because they're Republicans. And they've said that if you're yes. going to be yeah, for some of these outrageous... But maybe George Soros can get involved on the other side the way he did with Krasner or something. Well, say there's a whole bunch. You know, there are I, a few... Democrats, they're, you know... No, no, I'm, no, I'm talking about the Republican side. I'm saying right. that there's a whole bunch of Republican candidates that they were expecting support that they are not going right. to get from well, the Republicans. Well, you don't think it's going to be much of a difference. That, I think, is a game changer okay. for those candidates. Another big race going on. We're, we're going to talk here about Red, White, and Lou. That's the name of Congressman Lou Barletta's statewide bus tour as he tries to gain traction in the PA Senate race. He's behind in the polls. A New York Times article asks this question, and I'll ask of the panelists here. New York Times, why is Barletta, an immigration hardliner, trailing in Trump country? I would go further and say, why does anyone challenge a two-term United States senator who wants to be a 
elected to a third term. And it's another one of these races, you say, where Casey's got a, got a big lead. But you know what? I did a race like that once, and I can testify why people do these up these uh, upstart races. And the answer is because you never know. Things can change. I, and it depends on how good a campaign you run. I mean, I'm a, sort of not a, a good example of that, but people can run good campaigns. When you were, I, think, I, think Barletta, I think Barletta drank the Trump Kool-Aid. I think he believes that he's going to be against, you know, for the Trump immigration policy. And when he first got elected, uh, he was both as mayor and then as a congressman, very anti-immigration in a variety of different ways. And then, and I think he he believed that the Trump coattails. We're going to carry him and, and would bring money with them, and that's obviously not happening. You know, Bob Casey, it's a great name in the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Bob Casey has been, you know, he's a, a, a Democratic U.S. senator, but he hasn't been extreme. I thought he made a mistake in terms of Supreme Court by announcing he was against whoever it was going to be before mm. the name was out there. But that was a rare error. And I think that Barletta kind of thought perhaps, I mean, first of all, you're thinking, hey, who knows? Yeah. Number sure. two is There's I've got the that. Trump thing. But he never defined himself, and he's struggling now beyond anti-immigration, this guy from upstate Pennsylvania. Other than that, you don't know much about Right, Lou and Barletta. I would say keep in mind that Casey is not from Philadelphia, and he's not from Pittsburgh. He is from Scranton. He is uh, coming from a place that many people believe sort of represents different kinds of voters in Pennsylvania, and he's been a part of that culture right. for a long period of time. I think that bodes him well while he's clearly made friends and really great supporters uh, in the urban areas as I want, well. I want to get to the uh, New Jersey Senate race as well. Senator Bob Menendez went on a tweet storm in his fight for re-election, and this seems to be his strategy. Mention President Trump as often as possible. Remind voters that he is the Republican. He is in office in the White House. Uh, the Democrat unearthed what he considers the president's history of racism when it comes to rentals with his properties and his comments about blacks, Latinos, white supremacists. And meanwhile, Bob Hugan, who has an association with Trump in the past that he doesn't really talk about anymore, is trying to fight off claims that he was insensitive as head of Celgene when it came to a cancer drug. So let's talk about the Senate so, race. So let, let me just note for the record that <clears throat> there are lots of drugs that have already in the marketplace and been in the marketplace for dozens of years, and the prices of those drugs are skyrocketing, and nothing is being done. I'm talking about really basic, simple drugs in addition to the cancer drugs. I think, uh, Cel I think Celgene's behavior as a company was unconscionable at the, at, while this guy was at the helm. I mean, you're talking about people that you, you're blocking them out, potentially, of a life-saving therapy. I don't think that's a basis to be a United States well, I don't think be, giving my buddy free deals and flying on their plane the way uh, Menendez has done is a great thing. For, as you were a U.S. senator, not that you were running a large company and you tried to do the best for you. But for he your was acquitted. He was acquitted of charges in a courtroom. And I think well, that's that a big we, recommendation. That's beyond well, acquitted of well, that's but, charge. That's beyond. But he's they been, couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, well, but they couldn't. So, yes. so, so, so does that, that's so not hopefully he's that's the standard it, for not, everyone. It's, yeah. Well, it's look. <laughs> am I saying Do you that think that's he's a, a kind of a sleazy guy? Seriously, Bob Menendez. I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to. Oh, oh. I'll tell you this. He's mentioning Trump as much as possible so people forget about Trump. He has the incumbent's advantage that he's there. He knows the lay of the land, but 
he's he had a tough primary race. He, he did. He, he, he was he did. seriously challenged, and he's got this stain. He had 60% of the vote he, and he, a bunch of unknowns. He's got the stain on, on his record. You know, yes, he was acquitted, but you know what? That's that's not a high recommendation. So I think um, Kugan is looking at this and saying, hey, i got a shot at this. I'm, I'm still the challenger, but, you know, this Men is this is Menendez may not, Menendez like may not have the highest recommendation, but at least he wasn't leaving cancer patients behind. I think that's mm -hmm. a a better recommendation. I think Hugin is uh, morally lacking. This could go on for another half hour. <laughs> Time for a break. We'll be right back. Back with Inside Story. We're talking about Netroots Nation. Have you heard of it? It's a political convention for progressives. It's coming to Philadelphia next year, so let's talk about it. The last convention was just last month in New Orleans. Served as basically a big commercial for all the potential Democratic candidates in 2020. Now, we know Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney calls him a progressive here in the city. District Attorney Larry Krasner has been called that, also more so a radical. So the question I have for you folks is that could Philadelphia vault net roots into more of the political stratosphere? Uh, could it threaten the Democratic Party? And is it really just a, a tea party for the Democrats? Well, I think it'd be great for the city of Philadelphia to bring 3,000-plus additional visitors uh, to our city. That would be great. I don't think net roots can push Philadelphia further left than it already is oh, uh, on, its, on its issues. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I think it'd be great for the city of Philadelphia, and it would give everyone here a chance to see probably the top challengers to President Trump in, in 2019. We'd get to see them early. It'd be great. What do we make of net roots here, our Democrats? I'm unpersuaded that it's all Democrats. I think that there are a lot of independents that are part of Netroots, in part because the largest political demographic that's growing in Pennsylvania and I think in other places are independents. So what does that mean in a state where we, where if, when you want to vote in a primary, you have to be committed? Now, there is legislation pending in Harrisburg that might change that, and it's actually coming from the Republican side of the Senate. Scarnati has well, been talking about this. So, so it could get interesting, but I'm unpersuaded that it's going far enough. Well, I think that there are people out there who are really saying to the Democrats, we really want to talk about issues. And the question is going to be whether or not net roots is a place to talk about some of those issues around issues of equality, issues of fair pay, uh, issues of upward mobility. And I think there needs to be a place within the party where some of those kinds of conversations are taking place. Um, whether or not it's a Tea Party or a huge disruptor, I think we're, we're still waiting to see. We know we at least have a couple of Philadelphians involved, as you said, Larry Krasner, also Councilwoman Helen Gim mm -hmm. uh, is also a mm -hmm, part of sure. it. Uh, as well. But I, I think the Democrats from the ones at least that I talk to and even many of the independents are keeping their eye on the prize. Yeah. And, and that eye is we must change the politics in Washington um, and we hope to try to have some impact on the politics in Pennsylvania. I'm more into the real roots with Questlove and stuff like that. I mean, that would be, you know, an <laughs> He I, is I, an yeah. excellent drummer. Yeah. He, he is. is something he else. Is. <laughs> so one drummer speaking to another. Yes, uh, he's yes. one of the best. Uh -huh. yes. Yeah, no, I, I don't think Net Roots is going to have much of an impact. It's people talking to themselves, and, and I appreciate, I think it is, you know, but I don't think it's going to really fill up the hotel. Probably more Airbnb stuff like that. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a big burn to the. I'm just thinking the money. Sorry about that. Right. Tourism dollars. Right. Well, I do it, Jan. Three thousand people coming to town to talk about important issues. Uh, in our democracy as opposed to talking about dividing people and calling people names and that kind of thing, I can be nothing but positive. You know, looking ahead to next year, we're going to start seeing 
three, four, or five prominent figures in the Democratic Party are looking to run for president. So it could be a pretty exciting thing yeah. to see mm -hmm. things happening here in Philadelphia. By the way, in the city of Philadelphia, they plan to issue municipal ID cards next year. It will be for residents who don't have a driver's license and who need some sort of ID to obtain government services. Now, this is an obvious statement, particularly for Mayor Kenny. Uh, to those who have pushed ID requirements to vote, which never really got anywhere, and opponents of Philadelphia's status as a sanctuary city. So is this necessary? Is it a waste of time? It's going to cost the taxpayers $580,000 in the first year to, to launch this program. And it's an open question whether they're even going to maintain the records. When people apply for these, um, you know, a driver's license record is a, is a public record. Um, you know, people can go in and, and ask, you know, who, who these people are. Is the city going to maintain the same sort of recording system with public access to the information that they've gathered on the people applying for these IDs uh, in exchange for the 580000 taxpayers? dollars that are going to be spent each year? So I spoke to the mayor about this and he makes a, a couple of really important points that first of all these IDs are not about immigration. These IDs are about people living their lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Lots of people, particularly at opposite ends of the age spectrum, don't drive. They either are, you know, have given up their driver's licenses because they've passed the point where they're safe on the road, or the young people that are either on bikes in an Uber, or, right? Yeah. So, so the whole idea that this is just about immigration—I mean, it's it fits nicely into a box, but it doesn't actually happen to be true by by the mayor's lights. Okay. Let me throw you this: U.S. Attorney William McSwain of Philadelphia, and this is on the sanctuary city issue. Uh, he criticized the city's <laughs> status as such claiming it allowed a Honduran man to repeatedly sexually assault a five-year-old girl a few years ago. This took place during a news conference where he was talking about the case. This, this is McCain's statement. If it turns out by playing favorites that you're allowing children to get raped, my office is going to have a big problem with that. Pretty strong words about Philadelphia as a status sanctuary city. This is just one of many crimes that were committed by people who were in detention in the city of Philadelphia that ICE requested uh, custody of so they could be deported, uh, and the city of Philadelphia refused to, uh, that's to allow ICE you know, to things take like that's, that's Things like this are federal issues, and I think the mayor, no matter how um, uh, well-intentioned perhaps he is on these things, this is a federal issue. You can't have city after city deciding one way or the other what your rights are as a U.S. Well, citizen. Well, well, but a judge, a federal judge, Mike Bailson, who was a Republican and had previously been a U.S. attorney for I don't know how many years. He was appointed by George Bush. He was, I mean, he's, you know, right, his right. Republican credentials are not insubstantial. And he sided with the city and basically said to the U.S. attorney's office, by the way, before the current U.S. attorney came in, get, get, a, get a subpoena. Get uh, get and get a document that says you have to you, a habeas corpus. But the corpus. concept of sanctuary cities and, and cities there were only deciding six, what they're planning to do. I find it. I find it a publicity stunt. It's, well, I find it a publicity, it's a publicity stunt, stunt to focus it's on this one crime. That liberals are so concerned about family separation and the trauma imposed on the child, and, and no about, one is making an issue of child rape. Uh, how about, and, the, and how about the kids that are being abused trauma. in these detention centers? I Inside mean, that's like another whole story. Coming up. XEBC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University.
Inside Stories, we'll start with Jay. Jerry Lenfest gave away $1.3 billion in his life, which got him removed from the Forbes 400 list of richest Americans. Donna. Last week, we said goodbye to Jeremy Nowak, son of Philadelphia, part wise man, part wise guy. He's going to be missed a lot. Right. Jerry Lenfest, a friend of 25 years and a client, a wonderful man, his partner in everything, Marguerite. God bless him. He wasn't involved in the paper earlier on in 2010, the middle of the auction. He called me up and said, I'm in for 10. Charmaine. Uh, great Philadelphians. Kevin Hart, uh, our, our native son, uh, gave away $600,000 this week to five students uh, in Philadelphia who are going on to historically black colleges. Thank you, Kevin. That's the entire story for this week. We'll see you next week. I'll see you Monday morning. Bye-bye.